your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 13 tonight. Genesis chapter number 13. Uh, for two weeks we've been studying on Sunday evenings uh, faith in the life of Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. And faith seems to be one of those ungraspable elements to the lost. And uh, even to many believers, the concept of having faith uh, is a difficult thing. But we see in the life of Abraham, though he was not a perfect man by any means, and by the way, there's only been one perfect man in this book or in this world, uh, but other than him, no one's ever been perfect. But Abraham's flaws are fairly evident in Scripture as well. There's other men that their flaws and failures are not amplified in the way that Abraham's are. And so we find that to be a man of faith, to be a woman of faith, to walk by faith, does not necessarily mean you're going to be perfect. But faith, by the very nature of what it is, being faith, is a matter of putting your confidence and trust in God. The first week we studied faith discovered and saw faith enter into the life of Abraham and him begin to walk by faith. Last week we saw faith deserted. It doesn't take long. Uh, Faith is like a muscle. If it's not exercised, it will atrophy. And faith is always tested. Faith is always tried, and uh, faith is the better for it. But we find that Abraham's faith was tested, and Abraham failed the test. Oh, but I'm thankful that even when we fail, God forgives us, gives us an opportunity to do the right thing and get back in the, in the right way. And so this evening, I want to take a few moments and say a few words on the topic of faith discerning. Abraham comes to a decision that must be made in his life. And this life is a life of decisions. Every day we may have choices that we face and decisions that must be made. And how is the believer to handle those decisions? I want us to read, if you will, with me, uh, the Genesis chapter 13. It's not a very long passage. And we'll read it in its entirety so that we may reference it at liberty later. It says in verse 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar. Now that's significant. I want you to underscore it. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, which went with Abram, now this was Lot's, or Abram's nephew Lot, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Uh, Is not the whole land before thee? Uh, Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. 
Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were, exceed, were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's true. Thank You that it's infallible. Thank You that it's God-breathed. Help us tonight to approach Your Word with the holy hunger that we need to, and Father, with the holy reverence that it deserves. I pray this evening, if there's one amongst us that's lost without Christ, that You'd show them their need of salvation and their need of Christ's forgiveness, and show them, Lord, that they may be saved this evening, if only they're willing to turn towards Him and call on His name in repentance and faith. I pray this evening, if there's one that's backslidden and far away from you, that you draw them back close to yourself. Lord, if there's one here that is discouraged, that needs to be uplifted, God, I know you're able, and I pray that you'd do so. If there's one that's haughty and prideful, Lord, pray they'd be abased, that they might walk closer to you. Father, we love and thank you for all that you've done. We commit this to your care and to your hands. In Christ's name, amen. As we study this passage, there's a few things that jump out at me. And I believe they're worth noting. It's interesting to note the decision that Abram has to make. As I said already, life is full of choices and decisions. But the majority of the decisions that we make are fairly easy decisions because God's Word is clear about the matter. Let me say that before you make any decision, God's Word is what you need to consult about making that decision. And most of the things in life that trip us up are matters of disobedience where God was clear on a matter. We live in a world today where the Word of God is kicked to the side, is spit upon, is disrespected, and then people wonder why their life is a wreck. Well, I can tell you, neighbor, the reason most people's life is a wreck is because they've lived in complete disobedience to the Almighty God. That's why a lot of people's lives are wrecked. And most decisions that we have to make can be made easily by consulting God's Word. But as we study this passage, we find that Abram's decision would not have been something he could have gotten crystal clarity from God's Word in. And I'll tell you why. Because Abram was not choosing between right and wrong. Abram was choosing between left and right. You see, all of the land belonged to Abram and had been promised to Abram. There was no question about departing to go again into Egypt. There was no question about departing to go into some other pagan land, but the question was whether to go this way or that way within the confines of what God had already told him was His. And I tell you tonight that there'll be times in your life when you're going to have to make decisions. Now listen carefully, that God's Word does not necessarily map out what your decision should be. 
Now, if you don't know that that's true, you've not lived the Christian life very long. Uh, not every decision is right and wrong. But there's times in our life when we make decisions. Let me give you a few examples. As a young person, I was asked this time and time again by my teenagers when I was a youth pastor about how they know where they should go to college, how they know who they should marry, how they know where they should work. These are not matters of right and wrong necessarily. Now, if the Lord reveals to you His will, if if you know what God would have you to do, then it's a choice between obedience and disobedience. But at the place that Abram is at, he's faced with a problem. And he's got to get the Lord's mind on this matter. And he's trying to understand this decision. And there's decisions we make in life that are not quite so clear-cut as people would make them out to be. I believe it's important to notice in verse number 7 that God gives special emphasis on a truth. Notice it. It says, And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. Now notice this. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. You know, if you'll read God's Word carefully, you'll find God puts emphasis on things for a particular reason. I believe there's a lot of reasons this emphasis was put. I believe there was a heightened danger in the fact that there were these uh, foreign people. I say they're foreign. They were there before Abraham, but God hadn't promised them the land of Canaan. It belonged to Abram. But these foreign elements that were threatening. But I believe there's another thing that God is trying to teach us in this. I believe God's trying to teach us that there was some people that did not know God that were watching the decisions that Abram and Lot were making. Can I say to you this evening, you've got lost people watching the decisions you're making. They're paying closer attention to your life than maybe you're paying to it. They're watching to see what a Christian's going to do. When you're faced with a decision that you must make, And I tell you, a lot of times they're watching when we make decisions between right and wrong and we know what the right thing is to do. And every time, neighbor, that you do something wrong in the eyes of a lost person, that's wrong even if they're not around, but every time you do it in the eyes of a lost person, it's doubly destructive if you name the name of Christ. They're watching to see how you act. They're watching your standards. You may not care a a lick about your standards, but lost people are watching your standards. They're watching the way you're living. They're watching the way you act. They watch those times whenever we, we get upset. How many of y'all get upset sometimes? Anybody? Oh, a couple. I figured there might be a couple. <clears throat> How many of you have trouble finding your temper sometime because you've lost it? Me? Amen. I'm, I'm not just giving you an example. I'm sticking my hand up there. That's, that's me as well. I'll admit to that. Neighbor, when you lose your temper in front of a lost person, they see the way that you live and the way that, that you act. You can apologize from dawn till dusk. You've still done damage in their eyes. They see the way that you live. They pay attention to the things that you do in your life. The Perizzite and the Canaanite, they were still in the land. They are watching Abram and the decisions that he was making. We find that there's a lot of importance upon this decision that Abram's going to make. The land was not able to bear them, the Bible says, and that's the Bible way of telling us that uh, there wasn't enough land to run Abram's cattle and Lot's cattle on. Their livestock was getting intermingled and uh, the herdsmen that were watching over these herds were getting in fights. And so Abram comes to a place where he must make a decision. And I want to notice three things this evening. I'm going to try to be very, very quick. Uh, But I want us to notice this evening the framework of his discernment. What kind of a place was Abram at when he makes this decision? I'll go ahead and tell you, and we see it from the text, we've already read it, that Abram made the right decision. He, He did the thing that was pleasing unto the Lord. And I think it's important for us to notice the steps that led up to that. So we see the framework of it. 
What kind of a situation was Abram in? I found that most of the time people make their greatest life decisions when they're in no place to be making a decision. I found that many times when people get bitter and angry and get out of church and get upset and they're not reading their Bible and they're not praying, many times the devil, you know, he's he's smart. (laughs) And he comes along and he tells you that you need to just rearrange things and then you're going to be happy. Let me tell you why he's doing that. He knows you're in no place to make decisions at that point. He knows you're not in communion with God. He knows you're not in God's Word on a daily basis. And He knows if He can get you to make decisions in that kind of situation, He can't force you to do anything. And by the way, I don't believe like a lot of churches and like a lot of the charismatic crowd does, I don't believe the devil can read our thoughts. The devil can't force us to think things. He doesn't know what we're thinking. I believe the devil is aware of our actions, but I don't believe he's aware of our thoughts. And he can't force us to do anything, but he knows if he can get you in that kind of situation, there's a good chance you're going to slip up and make some bad decisions. And so we see of this framework. Abram had been in Egypt. He had been away from God and out of God's will. But I'm thankful that just as there's a road into Egypt, there's a road out of Egypt. Somebody say amen right there. Thankful that even though we do wrong, there's still a way to do right and to get things right. And so Abram had been spending time in Egypt. He had lied and said that his wife Sarai was actually his sister. He was afraid that the Egyptians would take and kill him, that they might take Sarai to be their own wife. And so he had lied and caused her to lie. There had been a a, a great uh, discussion and a great dissension that had been taking place over the matter and a great disturbance. And his testimony had been ruined amongst the Egyptians. And he was in an awful place. But we find that God gives Abraham the opportunity to leave, leave Egypt, just as He had given him the opportunity to go in. And we find in the first verse of this chapter, the Bible says He had come up out of Egypt. This is significant. It's, it's more than just a geographical fact. But I believe it's a spiritual truth as well that's being exhibited to us. And you say, preacher, why do you believe that? Because the first thing Abram did was go back to the last place that he had seen the Lord. He left and went back to the place where he had communed with God. And I believe that what Abraham was doing, uh, he said, I've got myself in a mess and I've got to get back to God if it's going to get right. I've got to get back to the last place I heard His voice. The last place that I felt His presence, I've got to get back where the Lord is. So Abram comes back and the Bible tells us he comes back to the same place between Bethel and Hai. And most of us know uh, something about those two places. Bethel, of course, was the place that Jacob would later uh, find, meet God at and come back. And it would be a, a base of his spirituality. Hai was the, the place where uh, the children of Israel were defeated by the small group. Ai is what it's known as in the book of Joshua. But in between these two places, Abram had built a, an altar and he had called on the name of the Lord. And I'd like to say that we see in this passage that Abraham had finally had his will broken and he was finally in submission to God once again. Let me tell you when a Christian ought to make his greatest decisions or the state in which he ought to make them, when he's in total, complete submission to God. You know, do you know adults are a lot like kids? How many of you all know that's true? (laughs) Pastors know that's true, don't we? Uh, Adults can be like children sometimes. And you know, do you know why you whip your kids? Now, this is going to upset Dr. Spock, but I'm going to tell you the truth now. The reason you whip children is not to prove that you're stronger than them. They know you're stronger than them. The reason you whip children is not to convince them that what they did was wrong, because they know that what they did was wrong. Let me tell you what happens in the heart and mind of a child. They wage war on their authority figure. And some of you that have raised kids, of course, I've not raised kids. I've pastored, though, so that's close. And uh, some of you that have raised kids, you know this is true. 
they get this attitude, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to make me do. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know what I'm talking about. And when you whip a child, the purpose in doing so... Now, again, this is going to upset Dr. Spock. Don't you go out of here and say something your pastor didn't. I didn't, I didn't say that you ought to, ought to break their back, but you do break their will. That's what you're doing. You're trying to show that child that they don't run you. You're trying to show that child that you love them, you, you have their best interest in mind, and you love them enough that you're going to do whatever it takes and not let them get away with what they're doing. When I was a teenager, I, I took to smoking. I'm telling on myself now. When I was a teenager, I started smoking cigarettes, and, and I would, uh, I'd sneak around to do it, you know, because Mom and Daddy, they'd, they'd whip me if they found me, and they, they caught me a couple times. And I remember something my Daddy told me. He said, uh, it was one of the first times he caught me, and he said, Son, this is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to whip you three licks this time. Now, some of you are saying, Whew, your daddy was soft. I, I got a lot worse than that. Now, wait and let me finish. He said, I'm going to whip you three licks this time. Next time I catch you, it's going to be six. The time after that, it's going to be 12. The time after that, it's going to be 24, and then it's going to be 48. And most of you know that by doing that kind of math, you can take a penny and get to a million dollars by the end of a month, don't you? And... Uh, my daddy told me something that I'll never forget. Now, I don't hate him for it. I love him for it. He said, I'll whip you with a belt as long as I have to. And if you get too big for that, I use a baseball bat. I'm not a smoker today. <laughs> my daddy was breaking my will, and it needed to be broken. Abram's will had to be broken. He had to be shown that God was God. His proper place was in submission to the Lord. Here in a place of submission, he's able to make this decision understanding that within him is not the capacity to make this decision, but that it must be God's will for his life. That's the only way that it's going to be of any benefit. We see a second thing. The Bible tells us he came back to this place where the altar was, and the Bible says he called on the name of the Lord. I want to say that not only in this framework do we see that Abram was in submission to God, but he was in communion with God. We don't really know of anything of the Lord speaking to Abram while he was in Egypt. Now, the Lord appeared unto Pharaoh... But we don't see anywhere where the Lord speaks to Abram while he's in Egypt. But as he's come out of Egypt and his will's been broken, he's in submission to an almighty God, we find that now he's able to commune with the Lord once again. Let me tell you something. When your prayer closet has been unvisited for two, three weeks, that's not the time for you to make decisions. Now, and I'm not talking about neighbor. I'm not talking about between right and wrong. God's Word guides us as clear as we could ask on what right and wrong is. I'm talking about decisions that you face in life where you're at a loss and you don't understand what to do. When you're not in communion with God, that's not the time to make those decisions. You say, preacher, I've got to make that decision. Then get in communion with God. Find the altar. You say, oh, you mean that altar. No, I mean the altar of your heart. And get alone with an almighty God and talk to Him and say, Lord... I don't have it within me. I've got to have your mind upon this matter. Any Christian that tries to make these decisions outside of these two elements, outside of submission to God and communion with God, I promise you there's destruction that's headed your way. We see the framework of his discernment. But I want us to notice the faith that was exhibited in this discernment. And I'm going to try to give you these things and make them as clear as I can. Uh, how did he make the decision? What did he do? Is it, how did he come to the conclusion to allow Lot to take uh, whatever portion of the land that he wanted to take? And Abram said, I'm going to take whatever portion I want to take. How did Abram come 
to that decision. I want to say we see three things exhibited in his decision making. I don't know how it was necessarily that it it occurred on Abram to do that, but I see three qualities in this that I believe are worth noting. And I want to say that first off, we see that his decision was a compassionate decision. Abram was the older of the two. He was Lot's uncle. And there's a lot more respect for elders then than there is today. Somebody say amen right there. Some of you older people, right? There's a lot more respect for elders. And in the framework of their society, it was Abram's prerogative. He could have chose anywhere he wanted to choose. He could have exhibited his cultural authority and cultural right. And he could have said, Lot, I'm going to choose where I want to go. But we see that Abram was thinking of others rather than thinking of himself. Let me tell you the first thing that a Christian needs to make a general rule of their decision making. Don't be worried whether it's going to benefit you. But you be worried whether you can use it to influence somebody towards Christ. I'm sure that was a pretty good testimony to Lot. I'm sure Lot already loved his uncle Abram. He had gone everywhere with him. But you know, don't you think that just showed Lot that Abram didn't just love him, but he loved him more than he loved himself. We live in a world, and uh, culture calls it this. How many of you have heard this term? We live in a dog-eat-dog world, you know? We live in a world where people step on anybody and anything they have to to climb their way up the ladder where any and everybody basically thinks only of themselves. Can I tell you, that's not a Christian spirit. That's not a Christian attitude. God didn't call any believer to be a doormat. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm saying is as you make these decisions, why don't you put it within this light? How can I use it to be a testimony to others? How can I use it to point someone else towards Calvary? Why don't you just use it in this way? Lord, help me to be compassionate to think of others in my decision-making. I believe we see a compassionate attitude. But I want to notice the second thing. We see a Christ-like attitude. Now, of course, we know that our Lord wasn't born yet. Although the Lord had appeared unto Abram, and if He had appeared unto Abram, I believe that was a theophany, a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of our Lord and Savior pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnation. But as far as being able to model Himself after the ministry of our Lord here on earth, Abram could not do that. But we find that as he was submitted to God, the attitude that he exhibited was uniquely Christ-like. Let me tell you who the model ought to be in our decision-making, and that's the Lord. Now you say, preacher, that doesn't help me as I make decisions. Yeah, sure it does. Let me tell you how. Uh, What did Christ say? He said, whosoever shall be first shall be last. Uh, The Bible says that we're to not go one mile if somebody compels us. We're to go two. We're to go the extra mile. We live in a day, again, where others, where people think only of themselves, not of others. But I believe our Lord in His ministry was constantly soul-focused. Say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Our Lord, uh, why did He come? He said very clearly, the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Everything Christ did, He did with eternity as His focal point. Now, most of us are different. And the carnal Christian will be the complete opposite. We'll do everything we can with the temporal as our focal point. We find that Abraham wasn't living this way. Abram could have took any portion that he wished to take. And uh, keep in mind, this is not just a matter of who's going to have the best view out the front porch. They had cattle. They had livestock. This was a matter of finances. This was a matter of money. This was a matter of their household. Abram could have easily said, I'll take it all to myself. But you know what I kindly think? Now, you can believe differently about this. 
But I believe Abram sensed that Lot was wandering away from the Lord. A man doesn't step out of God's will. Now, he may make the decision in a moment, but a man doesn't get in the mind frame to leave the most spiritual man on earth at the time and step towards the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't make that get in that mind frame all in one time. I believe Lot had been wandering from the Lord. I believe Egypt had taken its toll on Lot. I believe Lot was straying away from the Lord, and I kindly think that Abram was trying to do something to get Lot's attention and show him how much he loved him and how much he cared for him. Don't ever underestimate the power of compassion, church. I know we're, we're old-fashioned. I know that sometimes I get a little wound up, and, and hard preaching is, is what we like around here, and I endeavor to, to shoot straight and preach the Word of God as it is. And I believe there's a lot of people you're going to snatch out of the fires of hell. There's a lot of people that have to have their foundation shaken, but can I tell you that compassion goes a long way? You say, what's compassion? I, I've used this definition before and I was pondering on it again today. Compassion is allowing yourself to be emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another. In other words, allowing another person's situation to so move you that it changes your disposition and changes your attitude. The Bible tells us of Christ that when He saw the people, He was moved with compassion. And compassion is a thing... That'll move you. Don't underestimate for one moment the impact you can make in somebody's life by showing them the love of God. Don't underestimate for one moment the impact you can make on a sinner's life by showing them that God cares for him and that you care for him too. We see that it was a Christ-like attitude. I want to give you a third thing. I want to say that not only was this faith composed of a compassionate spirit and a Christ-like spirit, but we see that it had a confident spirit about it. You see, I believe it was further than just saying, Oh, Lot, I want you to have what's best. I believe that was an element of it. But I believe that Abraham understood that in leaving it in Lot's hands, he was leaving it in the Lord's hands. You see, the truth of the matter is, when we come to these decisions, and remember, and I keep referencing it because I think it needs to be referenced, we're not talking about a decision between right and wrong. Anywhere Abram would have gone in Canaan would have still been in Canaan. And that's the land God had promised to him. But Abram's not trying to figure out between what's right and wrong. He's trying to decide between right and left. He's trying to find a course to take. And as he's trying to find this course, he steps back and he says, If I'll follow the biblical pattern, whosoever shall be first shall be last, last shall be first. If I'll try to show compassion and love towards my nephew, try to make an impact on him, if I'll step back and just know what I know to do, then what I don't know to do, God will see that I find it out. He was confident that if he left it in the Lord's hands, the Lord would lead and guide him. I tell you, church, when the Lord tells us to move, we need to be obedient. But if the Lord doesn't tell us to move, we better stay put. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean in our life when we have no clear direction from God on a matter. It's not a matter of right and wrong. If we're talking about a matter of, of a decision, a course we've got to take in our life, when we come to that place and if we have no clarity on the matter, it's best to step back and give God the time He needs to work it out to His glory and to His honor and leave it in Almighty God's hands. I believe that there was a quiet confidence in Abram. He said, Lot, whatever you don't take, I will take. He could have been concerned that Lot was going to take him to the cleaners. And in fact, we find that that's really what Lot tried to do. Uh, now, Lot didn't act, uh, you know, i tell you what, what I kind of could have imagined it. You ever been out to eat with someone and got in a fight with them over who's paying the check because you both were trying to pay it? That ever happened? No, it ain't happened with you cheap people. I knew it hadn't happened. That don't happen with Baptists, does it? 
But I can, I, I can imagine, you know, it, it could have been that Abram said, Now, Lot, I want you to take these well-watered plains. I want you to have the best country. And Lot said, No, Uncle Abraham, I, I'm not going to do that to you. You've been so good to me and looked out for me. I'm going to allow you to take these, these well-watered plains. And probably Abram would have fared a little better being that close to Sodom. He was the spiritually stronger. And I can just see him going back and forth and back and forth. You know, that's not what happened. You know that Abram said, Lot, you take whatever portion of land that you want. And he looked up and he looked right towards the plains of Jordan. And he said, that's what I want for me. That's what I want for me. Now, we're not preaching about Lot's bad decision. We're preaching about Abram's good decision. But these two things are intertwined. And we find that Abram, when he put his confidence in God, that it was the Lord that was in control of the situation, he wasn't concerned about Lot getting the better of him. But rather, he was concerned that the Lord get his best. We find that the Lord worked it out to His glory and to His honor. Let me tell you something. What did Abram say? He said, the Lord's my shield, the Lord's my portion. I'll tell you who your protector is. The psalmist said He's my shield, my buckler, my strong tower. I'll tell you who your confidence ought to be put in, church, and that's put in the Lord. If you're constantly worried somebody's going to get the better of you, they probably will. If you're constantly worried that somebody's going to one-up you, they probably will. But if you'll just get your eyes focused on on the Almighty God of heaven and say, Lord, I want to do everything I can to serve you and please you, you'll find the Lord takes care of His own children. You'll find He watches out for His own. We find in this passage a quiet confidence and we find this faith of discernment. I want to give you a few things and I'll hush. We see the fruit of His discernment. Can I tell you that doing the right thing always benefits you? It may not always benefit you on this side of death, but on the other side of death it always benefits you. And God always honors obedience. And we find that something unique happened after Abram made this decision. And I believe it's worth noting. The Bible says that the Lord appeared and met with Abram. And notice the Bible says specifically after Lot had separated himself from him. After Lot had gone out from him. A lot of people debate on whether or not Lot went with Abram or Abram took Lot and was Abram in disobedience when Lot was with him because he'd been commanded to get out from amongst his kindred and his, his kinfolk. I really don't know the answer, to be honest with you, but I do know this. The, the Lord puts an emphasis on the fact that when Lot left, the Lord spoke to Abraham. And he began to reveal some things to him. But I believe it's just significant that the Lord was speaking to Abram. Can I tell you that part of the fruit of his discernment the fact that he left it in God's hands and went God's way, left the decision with the Lord, was that the Lord beckoned him. The Lord drew Abram close to himself. And the Lord was speaking to Abraham in a special way. Let me tell you how you can have the Lord show up and show out in your life. We, we're a church, I'd like to think, that's not afraid of shouting. I don't think we're afraid of it. Everybody seems to have liberty to do it. and We like services where the Lord really blesses our hearts. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. We like to feel the Lord show up in a service and, and just walk amongst these pews and do a work. Let me tell you when the Lord does that. He does that when the believer's lives are completely and totally submitted to Almighty God. And when we've left our whole confidence in Him. That's when the Lord shows up in our lives. The Lord shows up in our lives when we've submitted ourselves and say, God, I just want what You want for my life. We find that when Abram left the decision in God's hands, and all of a sudden, the communion gets a little closer. The prayer closet gets a little sweeter. The altar burns a little hotter. And God's voice gets a little louder in Abram's life. And I've found in my life, and I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. This old preacher messes up plenty, 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 plenty of time. But I found out that when I'm submitted to God, 
it's a little bit easier to hear His voice and to hear His leading. You know, a lot of times the reason God puts these decisions in our life is just to bring us to a place where we'll be willing to depend on Him for the answer. We find that when Abram, in a lot of ways it was a test. Now, I'm not saying God did it only to test Abram, but in a lot of ways it was a test. When Abram passed the test, he heard the teacher's voice. You know, funny thing about taking tests, you sit in class. How many of you enjoyed school? Weirdos. I hated it. I hated every bit of it. I had this history teacher one time. was the most hateful person I ever met. The only person I disliked more than that was a science and Bible teacher that I had when I was growing up too. And he was awful. I got back at him, though. I married his daughter. Amen. And, uh, <clears throat> but in school, you know what you find? You find that that teacher's job is to speak and to teach. All day long, that teacher gets up in front of them students and teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches. But you'll find when it comes test time, the teacher gets quiet. The teacher's not speaking during the test. You know why? It's time to implement the things he's taught you. Let me tell you a truth in your Christian life. Don't be surprised if when the trials come, the teacher gets silent. He's supposed to. He's getting silent so that you can exercise faith so that you can put your dependence upon Him. And you'll find that typically as soon as you turn that test paper in, He's more than ready to talk once again. We find that Abram found God's beckoning. God began to speak to him. We find that he not only found God's beckoning, but that he found God's blessing in his life. You'll find that the covenant that God made with Abram, or let's just say the promises, that's probably a more accurate term, although there was an Abrahamic covenant, we find that the promises that God made to Abraham are progressive in a way. God reveals a little bit to Abram. And it's almost as though Abram's seeing through a glass darkly. First the Lord speaks to him and says, Abram, I want you to leave your family and kindred and I'm going to make a great uh, nation of you and I want you to go to a country that you do not know. And you'll find you go on a little further and he says, all right, Abram, this is the place where I want you to dwell. This is the country that I'm giving you. And you go on a little further and you'll find that Abram in this passage, that God looks at Abram and says, Abram, I want you to take off east and north and west and south. And I want you to walk the length and breadth of this land. And I want you to see what I've given you. And he goes a little further. He doesn't just say, Abram, I'm making you a great nation. But he says, Abram, your seed is going to be as the sand of the sea. We find that God revealed a little more of His blessing to Abram when he had left the decision and left his life in God's hands. People wondering, running around wondering like chickens with their heads cut off. Who is God? What is God? What does God want for my life? But I tell you, the problem is, a lot of times what we want is we want God to prove that He's God to us before we'll admit that we're men to Him. We want God to prove that He's as good as He says He is before we'll admit we're as bad as we are. Neighbor, that's not how it works. Only the submitted soul communes with God. Only the submitted soul learns at His feet. If we're going to be at His feet and learn, we've got to sit there, just as the lady did in the New Testament and many others as they'd sit around His feet and learn. But we find that as soon as Abram was submitted to him and left the decision in his hands, that God blessed him in an immense way. And I want to say one final thing. We see that God gave him His best. He beckoned him, and he blessed him, but he gave him his best. I'll end with a quote, and I'm just going to say a few things about it. missionary once said that the Lord always gives his best to those that leave the decision with him. God's in the habit of giving his best to his children. Do you know that? 
whenever he sent someone to die on the cross for us, he didn't send an angel or a prophet, but he sent his own dear son. He sent the best that he had. The Lord's always in the habit of doing that. Let me tell you how to cheat yourself out of a great blessing in life. You just try to run your life your way, and you'll find out that you'll miss out on what God has for you. We find in the story of the walls of Jericho that it's really a matter of timing sometimes. Isn't it hard to wait? Do you ever get impatient? you ever get impatient, anybody? What about when the preacher's dragging on and asking questions? Yeah, me too. (laughs) But we find that God had uh, commanded the children of Israel and given them an unusual uh, battle strategy. They'd march around the walls of Jericho. They'd blow the trumpets. The walls would fall. But God had given this commandment. He said that they were not to take anything in that city. Uh, The way God said it, He said, Touch not the uh, accursed thing. Nothing in the city of Jericho, after it had been destroyed, was to be taken uh, for, for bounty or, or, or for loot. It was all supposed to be left. It was an accursed place. There was a man named Achan that looked upon a wedge of silver and some gold and a Babylonian garment. And uh, sin always starts with the eyes. He looked on him and he lusted after him and he took him and hid him in his tent floor. And the Bible tells us the story of how God revealed to Joshua who the man was and the Bible says that they took Abram out and, and took his, his uh, family and took his children, took his livestock, took everything he had and stoned them and burnt them. And uh, it's, it's a tragic and heartbreaking story, but let me give you the most tragic element of it. The Bible tells us that after this, they went for the second time to a little place called Ai. And they destroyed that city of Ai. And the Bible says that all of the spoils belonged to the soldiers when they went and took Ai. I tell you, a lot of times when we get in a hurry on the Lord, we miss out on His greatest blessings. The tragedy is here was Achan, his whole family laying dead. And probably over in Ai, I tend to think there was probably some gold and some silver and a Babylonian garment just laying there untouched. When you obey God, you'll find He always blesses you. When you'll leave your life in His hands and say, God, I just want to be pleasing to you you'll find God always gives His best.